Hello, beautiful alchemist. Welcome to Reiki Radio. I am your host, Yolanda, and I am very excited to share today's conversation with you today. For those of you who have been listening to Reiki Radio for a while, you will remember our guest. Her name is Tracy Stanley, and she is the author of Radiant Rest, which we spoke about two years ago on the podcast. In fact, if you haven't heard that episode, I recommend going back in the archives to 2021 and looking up that episode. Again, her book then, or the one that she wrote initially, (laughs) was called Radiant Rest, and it was all about Yoga Nidra. And it was um, an incredible conversation even back then, and such a beautiful book about the necessity for rest and what we can really learn and heal and discover about ourselves within those states of rest and um, observation. Well, Tracy has a new book. It's called The Luminous Self, which she says is the sister book to the first book, Radiant Rest. And this is what we talked about today, but I have to tell you guys, The thing about this book that was so incredible is it gave me even deeper understanding of the practices and teachings within Reiki, even though her teachings are very much steeped in yogic tradition and philosophy. So it's always beautiful to see how all of these different um, systems point to the awakening, the realization, the understanding of your true nature. And this book, The Luminous Self, beautifully takes us into this journey of self-realization. But not only does Tracy give a lot of beautiful insight to help us be able to understand the work, the purpose of the work, what her personal experiences have been through the work, But she also, all throughout the book, shares different practices to give you that beautiful direct experience so that you can, too, go deeper into the allowing of your true nature to emerge. So I want to give you a little bit of background about Tracy in case you are not yet familiar with her work. Tracy Stanley is the author of the best-selling book, Radiant Rest, Yoga Nidra for Deep Relaxation and Awakened Clarity. And she also, again, is the author of this beautiful forthcoming book, The Luminous Self, Sacred Yogic Practices and Rituals to Remember Who You Are. And the book will be published in October 2023 by Shambhala Publications. If you go to her website, you can order the book now. If you pre-order the book, use the coupon code LOOM30. That's L-U-M-30 for a discount. Now, Tracy is the founder of Empowered Life Circle, a sacred community and portal of practices, rituals, and tantric teachings inspired by more than 20 years of study in Sri Vidya Tantra and the teachings of the Himalayan masters. As a post-lineage teacher, Tracy is devoted to sharing the wisdom of Yoga Nidra, rest, meditation, self-inquiry, nature as a teacher, and ancestor reverence, which we will talk about in this conversation. 
Tracy is gifted in illuminating the magic and power found in liminal space and weaving devotion and practice into daily life. So please go to her website, learn more about her work. She also um, hosts different retreats and she is the facilitator of sacred circles, which you can join in person and online. So you can learn more on her website, which is tracystanley.com. That's T-R-A-C-E-E stanley.com. Of course, I will have the links to connect with Tracy down in the show description. So I am sure that so many light bulbs will go off for you all during this conversation. Thank you to Tracy for coming to share. And I will see you lovelies on the other side. Hey, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Reiki Radio. We have the beautiful Tracy Stanley back with us after two years. Um, I want to tell you, first of all, thank you for making the time to come again. It's such an honor to have you here. I'm excited to talk about your new works. Thank you so much. It is so lovely to be back with you again, Yolanda. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, interestingly, so I will say for a lot of the people who have been listening to the podcast for a while, they of course would be familiar with your um, first book, Radiant Rest. And it got a lot of feedback from that episode. I remember people were in love with what you shared. And I know several people went and got the book. And I too, um, I did yoga teacher training, all those things and wasn't very familiar with yoga Nidra. But I want to say with the new book, The Luminous Self, it's interesting reflecting back to the first book. I was like the first book in a way to me felt like coming into the womb. And then this book felt like a rebirth. So I just wanted to ask you a bit about the inspiration behind the luminous self and the journey that you take us on. Oh, thank you so much for that reflection. Um, You know, what I would say also is that this book is the sister book to Radiant Rest. That Radiant Rest has a lot of the moon nurturing, restful, of course, energy, right? And when we're in that state of rest, we receive a lot of information. We see a lot of patterning because things are revealed to us kind of in that state, right? right? And the luminous self is the book that can help you to, what do I do with all this information? Mm. What do I do with these insights? Um, Funnily enough, The Luminous Self was the book that I had been planning on publishing first. So I had the idea for this book first. And what I know now is that I needed to have the experience of writing Radiant Rest, sharing that wisdom, because that will is what was needed at the time. Oh yeah. uh, During the (laughs) pandemic. And I think that um, there's so many of us that got the message that we needed to share the message of rest and the inspiration of rest. And now it feels like for me, this work um, can be received in a different way. And it was also, um, I was able to reach deeper into a vulnerability and a way to also um, help to explain some of the philosophies as I understood them and allow them to be supported by 
personal stories that would hopefully illustrate them really clearly. Okay. I'm going to try not to jump ahead with what you just said, Um, because your personal stories really, truly, I was thinking of, even though, and we'll talk about the practices you have outlined in the book, there's a lot of self-reflection encouraged in the book, but even your personal stories, you can, you know, it, it cracks something open within us, even if we don't do the practices, there's still this cracking open that happens with what you share. But it's interesting you say, um, even with radiant rest, really knowing what to do with whatever comes up for us in those states of self-reflection. And at that time, yeah, I mean, we were forced in a lot of ways during the pandemic to (laughs) sit with and look at so much. And then this book, I have to say this off the top, because a lot of people who listen to the podcast are um, practitioners of Reiki, energy work, a lot of yogic um, practitioners as well. However, it reminded me so much, and I love how all roads kind of point to the same thing. And this book highlights so much of that relationship with our truest essence, our truest nature. And it's something that we hear about a lot. And I love the way that you do share and then give us, you know, our personal exercises to go deeper. But this makes me want to ask you about namaste. And this is why. This is one of those things I always, always have been so curious about. And just the questioning of it has been a teacher, right? So um, when I first started yoga, very common term that you hear. And it made me question, well, but what is that? Like the divine in me acknowledging the divine in you, do I even know what that is? And when I look out in the world, is that really what I think? Is that really what I perceive? So could you talk a little bit about that and how this acknowledgement of divine in us is so important to our healing? Mm, That's such a beautiful inquiry. So when you, when you inquire into this, um, the divine in me recognizes, honors, and respects the divine in you, as we've learned that as a translation for namaste in a lot of yoga classes, it's, it really begs the question of what in me is divine, which Mm. is what I hear you asking. And I really believe that that is the promise of yoga. The promise of yoga as a philosophy, as a practice, as an inquiry, as a self-study, as a remembering is all about, to me, the remembering of the divine within, the remembering Mm. of the true self. And, you know, yoga is said, um, from my understanding, to kind of activate this smirti. And smirti is this idea of memory or retention as it's a lot of times translated, but it is about the remembrance of the divine within. Yeah. And so a lot of times, and I'm glad you're speaking to this, this uh, question of namaste, because a lot of times it's a very rote, you know, put my hands together, namaste, that's how we end the, the class, yet you're not thinking about the divine within you. Because if there's divine within me, that also means that there's divine within you. Right. 
And that means that we're all connected because the divine is a oneness. Yes. And that's so much of, and the reason I'm even bringing it up is because your book points so much to this. And so I, there's so much about the book itself. I just want to get into so many questions came up in reading it. And I have to say for anyone, whether you are familiar with yoga practices, traditions, anything at all, or not, your books are phenomenal in that I could really consider you one of my yoga teachers just from reading your books. And you explain things so beautifully. And the practices are, <laughs> they will push your buttons, um, but in a beautiful, beautiful way. So one of the things I wanted to ask you about right off the bat is in the beginning of the book, you talk about your egg yolk story, but from the lens of your connection to that as an adult but also what happened in childhood. And you also had a teacher who told you that which makes you fall is that which makes you rise. But what was so interesting about this story is how you had that acknowledgement of how profoundly it changed you. So I wanted to talk to you about that because I think your book like weaves that theme through as well. And the mm -hmm. reflection of who we end up identifying as and why, and if we can really recognize the stories. So could you talk a little bit about what happened since then? <laughs> like, so could you share with everyone um, maybe like a sense of who you were or who you thought you were prior, how this mm -hmm. changed you, and then mm -hmm. how the reflection of that is dancing yeah. around today? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So what I can tell you is that prior to being bullied, this is the story that you're referring to in the book. Um, I was very curious, very adventurous, um, very outgoing, um, really wanted to excel, was proud of being able to excel. Um, that was something that was very kind of important to my parents, right? And so of course I wanted to be the one to excel. And when this bullying incident happened, um, it was very rooted in this idea that I was different, um, that, you know, maybe I was in honors classes at that time. I was playing instruments. I was dressing differently than some people or had my hairstyle differently or spoke differently than other people. And so that was like a magnet for negative attention that led to this incident of eggs being cracked over my head on the school bus. And so what I noticed, not then, but as an adult later, when I was doing the inquiry um, and the inquiry that led me to this moment, to remembering this moment was that there was, I was noticing that I had a fear of being seen. And so when I started to go back through the timeline, I found myself at this place on the school bus and what I remembered from that was that all of a sudden I stopped wearing my glasses. And when I stopped wearing my glasses, I couldn't see the board anymore. So I stopped doing my homework. I stopped playing my instruments. I started shrinking, becoming invisible. And what I realized as I kind of looked into where I was at that moment in life, it was that I always had been very creative, but this led me to continuing to want to be invisible, right? And that invisibleness 
led me to be in a creative field, but one where I was behind the scenes, Mm. where I was helping others to bring their projects to light, which is something that I love doing. But it was really like, I I don't even want to go to my own movie premieres. I'm like standing in the background and I just produced this, you know, huge movie and I really want to be in the corner. And so I, I was like, I need to unwind what this is. One of the other things that happened um, from this incident was that I started pulling my hair out, right? Because one of the comments from the girls was about my hair, right? And so that became something where it was like, oh, if I could, and I don't know that I had this conscious thought, but this feels like something that was winding in that is that just removing the thing that was causing the negative attention, right? And it wasn't until I actually started practicing yoga. And what I would say is that the spaciousness and the stillness that I was availed to from practice, which was something that I don't think I ever had before because we're always in the doing, right? Mm -hmm. So it wasn't until I got still that it came through like, oh, you don't have to do this anymore. And so I was able to look at that also and see, oh, this is something that is coming from um, anxiety. It's coming from a habit. This has now become an unconscious ritual, mm. right? That when there's space and time, there's something to, to do with the hands, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I was able to, to stop that. And it was literally like within, uh, I would say a couple of months being able to stop something that had by that point uh, been something that had been going on for at least 15 years by the time I had started my yoga practice. That's incredible. And I'm so glad you share this because I think it really points to um, encouraging us to not be afraid to look at what we hold. Because in this realm, I remember when I first started um, all of this work, I all I heard was all the, the feel good parts of it, you know, it was like, Oh, this is great. And you're going to feel amazing. And uh Oh, which, you know, was interesting. It was intriguing. (laughs) But then what I encountered was not all sunshine and rainbows. Right. And um, unfortunately I hadn't been told. So it was a very, I was in a lot of resistance and all these things, but what happened was just that, like I started having these moments of remembering or realizing how I was being one thing and very, very in particular pointed to also not wanting to be seen. And I would have never, ever made that correlation of, you know, I had just taken on the identity of being shy or being weird or being introverted, but I was choosing not to be seen. Right. And so that realization of where it stemmed from also then gave me the choice to undo untie my knot. Right. And so I think your story is so beautiful in that because a lot of people are so afraid of realizing why we are the way we are or what it is that has conditioned us in any particular way. So you talk about this, the relationship and realization of our true self. Could you talk a little bit about how 
we it's a gift <laughs> mm-hmm. to really you know really like really see and understand but i guess also recognizing that it's not even necessarily true all of these ways that we're identifying yeah yeah a lot of it has to do with conditioning yeah and i think that that is the beauty of the yoga sutras because the yoga sutras is asking us to understand this concept of samskaras and how these imprints or impressions or things that happen to us begin to inform by creating a coloring. And when we don't realize that that coloring is there, we start to act from that and respond to the coloring that we see without realizing that it is not what's really in front of us. And so this is how we start to form habits based on the coloring that we see. Then those habits, if they're not challenged and they're concretized over time, they become the personality. And we have really been conditioned to think, I believe, that our personality is who we are, right? As opposed to our personality is a kind of (laughs) just conglomeration of all of the different vasanas, samskaras, colorings, habits that have just not ever been cleaned off of our windscreen, Yeah, you know? And I think that yoga, rest practices, being in nature, experiencing awe are things that kind of wipe the windscreen clean just a little bit so that we can see, oh, wait a second, I'm seeing clearly now. I got a download now. I have an insight now. So if there's some sort of clearing that happened to allow that insight to drop in from out of nowhere, that means that there must be something else clouding my vision. Unless you're walking around in clarity all the time. I'm not walking around in clarity (laughs) all the time. I don't know, you know, maybe somebody in a cave is. But um, I think it's really important for us to understand um, that we are not our personality. And we can sit with um, the things that maybe have caused us pain, you know, or discomfort in our personality and then begin to ask, is this something that I want to continue with? Or is this something that comes from a long time ago? Maybe I don't even remember where it comes from, but I do have practices, perhaps I do offer practices in the book. Um, that can help you to start to dissolve those those parts of yourself. Yes, you do. I, I mean, in such beautiful practices, I actually wanted to say that. Thank you for sharing. You do that in Radiant Rest as well. You have practices, which I really appreciate, by the way, um, because it's not just information. I mean, like, yes, you will re- learn a lot reading your books, but you give us the choice of really um, taking it in and having the experience to have deeper understanding of what it is that you're sharing. And I, I really appreciate that. Those are like my favorite kind of teachers actually. (laughs) Um, But what you said, it's funny. I was thinking about the, you talk about the bugs on the windshield in the book, Mm. but this also reminds me of you talk about imposter syndrome and we it's funny listening to you now. It's making me think of how, because it's not our true self, like, could that be part of why? Because like we try so hard 
to live up to these different expectations and these ideas of who we think we're supposed to be, not even talking about what's running in the background. I mean, that's already, we have that to contend with on top of (laughs) the projections that we're trying to live into or think we have to. I mean, how could you not feel like an imposter really? Yeah. I mean, if we think about the fact that we, most of us are, are not connected to our true self mm-hmm. and that we're operating from this place of personality, which a lot of times is constructed by false beliefs, negative constructs, the overculture telling us how we should be and what we should be doing and what it means to be worthy. That when we do have that moment of insight or that moment of inspiration that feels so powerful and clear, and we have a direction, then all of a sudden it feels almost like it doesn't belong to us in some way because we haven't been practicing listening to our true self, right? So it almost feels like my true self is scary for me to step into it. Who am I to step into something that I know is connected to my brilliance, something I know that is connected to my worthiness, something I know that maybe has the possibility to change many lives or to change the way people see things or to offer something beautiful to the world, because that's not how we've been used to walking in the world. And the truth is, is that the overculture doesn't really want you to be connected to your true self, because when you are, you are powerful and you are knowing. I mean, but that's funny because, I mean, it's very true. And this is the thing. It's so interesting, though. I'm like, well, I mean, you think about the way that we are conditioned and we are used to perhaps a lot of us grew up with um, a lot of criticism. I mean, whether it came directly from family or our peers, all of these things. And so we all have these insecurities. We all deal with like the good enough and all of this. And can you imagine like if we somewhere in us feel like, I'm not good enough at like basic level. How on earth am I going to really, how could I be more than that? You know? And so it goes right back to though, it seems like the necessity then of the reflectiveness that you talk about in this work, because of course it would seem impossible until you start unraveling the stories that created the impossibility or the idea of it anyway. Exactly. That's exactly right. And that, that is, I feel like the medicine that we all need Yeah. Um, because I work with people all the time in mentorships or one-on-one and they have brilliant ideas and brilliant vision. And there's something that keeps them stuck. Yeah. And most of them really talk about this idea of, I feel like I'm an imposter. I feel like I have no business doing this. I feel like it's this is not for me. Well, if it wasn't for you, you wouldn't have had the insight. You wouldn't have had the inspiration. So the work that we do is really around dissolving this not enoughness, not worthiness, so that people can really find that part of them that knows they are worthy and doesn't question it. And we all have that. Yeah. You know, this, um, I have to say this book for me, this is one of the things I love as well. And I always encourage people, I say, study 
different traditions and different systems because while you'll see the connection, sometimes just hearing something in a different language or framing it in a different way, it unlocks more understanding for us, right? And so much of your book, and you flat out even say in some points of, you know, pointing to how this is our quest, our desire to feel free. And I literally wrote on my uh, whiteboard earlier this week, chasing freedom, because I was like, no matter what it is where we may feel stuck or in our suffering, no matter the area of our life, the things we think we want, like more money, the right job, the right partner, the this, the, 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 all the things it points to like, just wanting to feel some freedom from whatever we feel is causing us suffering, right? And you really drive that home. And so I have to ask you about this because a lot of people have resistance around forgiveness. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. you talk about how forgiveness is freedom. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even that forgiveness of ourselves, it's like, you talk about how it's our way of even reconciling to be able to like nourish that longing that we have. How can we, if we have that boundary of refusing to forgive? Yeah. yeah? So could you talk a bit about forgiveness and even how maybe it supported you personally in your path? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Forgiveness is huge. And, you know, there's a lot of us who have endured and experienced many things that have been traumatic and terrible. And so it's not to say that everyone deserves your forgiveness or you have to like on a dime, turn around and forgive someone because that I feel like that's spiritual bypassing, right? But I do think that we need to begin with ourselves, that we should begin with ourselves and practice self-forgiveness, mm-hmm. right? When we practice self-forgiveness, it becomes a tenderizing of ourselves that allows this softening to happen and a little bit of a letting go. And that in itself creates freedom because lack of forgiveness is just creating constriction, whether it's in the body, in the mind, in the heart. And so for anybody who's listening, I think that we can all have this inquiry of what is it that I need to forgive myself for? What is it that I need to forgive myself for? And can I sit with that and do the work of learning how to forgive myself? A lot of times I think it's harder to forgive ourselves than it is sometimes to forgive other people. Yes. Yes. Because there's an omission there, right? And again, for some, I think initially even the recognition of what we may have judged or criticized ourselves for, it points back to that loud noise of wrongness and shame and all Mm -hmm. of these things. So it can be so challenging, but you also made me think of that's why it's so important to like sit with the questions that you even provide in the book. So I have to say that in reading the book, of course I was reading to prepare to speak to you today And there were certain questions and prompts and exercises throughout the book where I was like, I, well, I have to sit with this. You know what I mean? Like, I can't Mm -hmm. 
pause and then just jot down free willy. Like I have to really sit with yeah, and make sure that whatever is coming up that I know I could trick myself and be a little sly and kind of work around and not really look at, you know what I mean? Like I really yeah. have to sit with these questions and, um, but it's interesting. I don't know. I just got the vision in my head of, um, you as an adult with the egg yolk, but the, the, <laughs> the, um, discomfort, like what's on the other side of that? Like if we don't mm. run away from it, what happens? And it's making me think of, the visual, because, you know, when we read, we can see in our minds, yeah. you describe this time of having that yoke on your head and drumming and looking at yourself and just being so vulnerable with yourself in the mirror. And that's what that just reminded me of, like this absolute, how do we just allow ourselves to see with so much courage, you know, yeah. even though it's scary, how can you just do it anyway? And what can you conjure yeah. up to do it anyway? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So how did you yeah. do that? Like, did, was this <laughs> something where you were just so determined to heal that you were like, I'm just going to do it? Or did you have to kind of work through getting that courage to look? It's, in it's interesting that you're asking this question because in kind of going back to this wound, right, mm -hmm. of okay, what's the fear of being successful? What's the fear? Because there's different stages of success, right? It's like, I've, I've been very successful in one career and noticed that it, I wanted to be invisible, right? But it was also like, I'm more comfortable here. So I can like hang out here for a little while and edge myself out as we go. And then several years later, I was like, oh, this thing of invisibility and fear of success is still hanging around. I'm really done with this. I want this to be complete. And as I was meditating, it just dropped in. You have to crack the egg over your own head. And you need to reclaim the symbolism of what that egg cracking means. This egg cracking is a rebirth. And it just came to me in a, in a visual, much like what you were just saying of, you have to be naked because this is how you came into the world. This is how you're gonna leave the world. This is really a rite of passage that you never had, right? And this is one of the issues that we have in Western industrialized culture is that we don't have a lot of our rituals. We don't remember a lot of our rituals. A lot of our rituals have been stolen, right? And in order to somehow, some in some ways and in some cultures, assimilate into this culture, the rituals have been left behind. So I was like, you know what? I need to create my own ritual. And that's the ritual that I'm going to do is that I'm going to reclaim the, the power of this egg for myself as a rebirth. Mm. Oh, you just really hit me with that, creating your own ritual and with the... Oh. Okay. Okay. Tracy, here we go. <laughs> Where you spoke about, cause you spoke about, um, connection to ancestors and lineage, but you also spoke about the importance and significance of ritual and, um, how in so many traditions, there are these rites of passages that are, you know, they're clearly lined out. I actually interviewed a guy a while ago that he was, um, a teacher of Tantra 
And he also pointed out how it was so important for, he noticed with a lot of men, because there was no rite of passage into manhood, a lot is lost in the understanding of what it means to become one and on and on, right? So you you talk about this in the book, and it's thinking about these, again, significant transitions in life. One that nobody, listen, oh, God, my mind, I'm not going to say it, just never mind, but we go through these very significant changes and transitions in life and we're doing it blindly and wildly and not noticing like what the gifts were of what we're stepping out of and the potential of what we're stepping into. And you talk about that in the space in between and you give us practice for this. Yeah. But the ancestor part, Tracy, let me tell you something. I am terrified of the ocean terrified. Mm -hmm. And I do say, and I say it jokingly, but I really mean it sincerely. I'm like, there's aliens in the ocean. I really think there are, but that's not really, really why I'm afraid of it. But I do think they're in there. Okay. Mm -hmm. But (laughs) when I read, you were talking about the importance of our connection to nature. And this was so fascinating of like the stories that we hold and the fears around nature, right? Even relating to the horror movies where we see like someone being chased in the woods and terrible things are happening in the woods. When I was younger, my mom would always be like, now don't go playing in the woods. I mean, we did, but you know, right. but you still had that instilled in you, like bad things happen out there. And so thinking about ancestors and you were talking about even what's encoded in our DNA and, you know, from our, and it just hit me and it struck me. I'm like, yeah, I associate, I really do associate the ocean with death. And not just because of what happened in times of slavery, but also um, my father died in a body of water. So I literally associate, like, I love a swimming pool, but water out in nature freaks me out. And just reading that, it just came up so clearly. I associate this with death. And so thank you for that. (laughs) Just again, your book creates a lot of um, personal insight will pop up for people. But could you talk a little bit about that combination? One, if you could talk about the importance of connection to nature, but two, how a lot of us may not recognize our disassociation with being in nature because of whatever may be lingering in our consciousness. Absolutely. So our connection to nature is vital in my opinion, because our true nature is nature. Mm -hmm. So the closer we can be to nature, the more intentional we can be with nature, the more that we can create reciprocal relationships with nature, the more healing it will be for us, the more healing it will be for nature itself. So we can't go into nature with this idea of, oh, I'm going to go into the woods and I'm going to receive all the healing because that is an extractive mentality. And that is where we are, right? In this Western industrialized culture. And so if we can go into nature and be with nature, sit with nature, listen to nature, and then give back to nature in some way that relationship starts to open up more wisdom for us in ways that we can't even imagine. 
And it doesn't have to start with your greatest fear, like the ocean, right? It can start with something so close as the earth. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it is often true that we've been conditioned to be afraid of nature. My parents were also, don't go into the woods, right? Don't go into the woods. Don't go into that back garden over there because there's snakes and there's all these things and, you know, there's bees and all the different things. And I think that for me, I was also um, very frightened when I saw the movie Roots and I saw people running through the forest being captured. That is definitely something that I feel like not only did I receive from watching the the movie, but I also feel like that is in my DNA from my ancestors, right? right? This fear of being caught somewhere in nature. Um, And so I think that the first thing that we need to do is we need to acknowledge these things, right? We need to just, you know, sit and notice what, what parts of nature feel most comfortable for me. Let me start with those places of reclaiming my relationship with nature and which places feel the most foreign. And if I can directly tie that back to something like that you shared, and I really appreciate you sharing about the death of your father, that's something that comes from this lifetime, right? Then I can perhaps, or you can perhaps create your own ritual around this. And maybe it's not, it's possible that it will be a one-time ritual. It's possible that it'll be something that you do monthly until things start to shift for you in a way. Yeah. Right. Now it's so beautiful. Thank you for saying that. It's funny because I wrote down ritual while you're talking one, because I love that prior to this, you mentioned that you created a self ritual, like you created a ritual for yourself. But after I just said out loud what I said, that's what it came to mind is I probably need to go sit by the ocean and have some type of ritual to initiate healing and, you know, just allow whatever comes up to come up and come out. Um, But I wanted to go back to that, even that beauty of creating our own ritual, because you also do mention that like our, um, how healing and important it can be to have more understanding of even what our ancestors may have believed or what their relationship was to nature. And of course, I mean, you know, being a, my mind just went 10 different places. Sorry. But being a, a black American there, a lot of us don't know exactly like which country mm-hmm. our mm-hmm. ancestors came from. Although now a lot of people are finding out through, you know, doing the DNA testing and these types of things. And even still, a lot of us are drawn to, you know, like West African cultures and practices. And there's this, a lot of people are connecting to those spiritual practices and things but for many people even if say someone were adopted and they Mm -hmm. may not know exactly like what are the traditions of my ancestors and you also talk about these connections to our ancestors that are also not necessarily within our blood lineage but could you talk a little bit about that that importance of honoring 
our ancestors, whether they are of blood relation or not. And Mm -hmm. again, how how has that helped you in any way? I know you tell stories in the book, but how Mm, has that (laughs) supported your healing? Yeah. So, you know, I think it's, it's an essential piece of understanding who we are. Mm -hmm. This is, I don't think it's any mistake that when enslaved people were stolen from their lands or people of indigenous uh, Native American backgrounds were relocated from their lands, that they were disconnected from their traditions. They were disconnected from their religions. They were disconnected from their rituals. Um, They were disconnected a lot of times from their songs because somehow the oppressor knew that this disconnection would lead to a forgetting, Mm. you know? And so this needs to be reclaimed. And I do think that, you know, DNA has been very helpful. There's also um, a company called African DNA that can help bring you closer towards the actual tribe and region. But I think if if you do a DNA test and you you find out that your people are from a certain area, the first thing that you can do, even if you're adopted and you don't know where who those people are, is to start to discover what are the foods that were eaten, right, in those places, and start to bring those foods into your diet. If you happen to be a gardener, start to grow those foods and start to have a relationship with those foods, right? Because a lot of the foods that we are eating are coming from uh, settler colonial, right? And they're not the indigenous foods. And I think that there's, there's people in ecology who talk about this idea that we all need to discover our authentic indigeneity. And I think the DNA is a way to do that. It's a way to also remember and to bring that remembrance into yourselves, yeah. right? It's like the epigenetics and the cells, the D- our DNA will remember when you start eating those foods, right? When you start listening to the music, right? Of these certain places, these are ways to just start connecting. And what I've noticed is um, that once I started to really inquire and be curious um, about my ancestors and to create an ancestor altar, and I have some um, inspirations on how to create an ancestor altar in my, in the book, that more information that I didn't know to look for started coming forward. Yes. You know, it was, the DNA test was one thing. And then the next thing I knew I was getting an email from someone in Brooklyn telling me that we were related. Wow. And I was like, no, this can't, this person can't be related to me because da, 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 da. And then the story comes forward that my brother had a twin, uh, two uh, siblings that were twins that were only four years older than him. that he never knew, no one in the family ever knew about. So there's this whole side of the family that, you know, I used to live in Brooklyn (laughs) that was right there. Um, And then these stories started to come and pictures started to come. 
and information about my grandfather, who the information was very scant around him. And all of this also happened when I decided to, I have one piece of jewelry that belonged to my grandfather. And I put that ring on my ancestor altar because I didn't have a picture. And all of a sudden, all these disinformation started coming. So we have to be open to the way information shows up, whether that might be in a dream as a message, whether that may be as someone actually reaching out, mm-hmm. whether that may, may be, an, be an insight that comes through. There's many ways to know. And I think that we have to be open to all the ways of knowing. That is amazing. You're making me want to dig more now. I'm like, yeah, I'm I'm definitely going to because um, one of a couple of my relatives have done the DNA. And so um, we did receive my aunt did a whole presentation, you know, she was so excited. Um, so we did find out which country in Africa and I did some surface level research. And then I was like, eh. <laughs> <I'm> so- <laughs> uh, but I'm going to dig deeper. But also I loved um, what you just shared. And it's interesting because you do talk about in the book as well, like, again, you know, there may be this information that comes with certain ancestors that we've never known, or again, perhaps not even related to. And um, one of my little cousins, she's like really digging because my grandmother was on my mother's side. She was born in 1906 in South Carolina, and she lived to be 96. So fortunately, I got to know her. Um, But she would not talk about her childhood. And I can't even imagine what it was like, but we really knew nothing about that side of the family. She did not, she refused. And so now she's been passed away for like 20 something years. And my, her would be her great grandchild is finding all this stuff. Right. And it's interesting, you know, just of like, wow, that must be why she didn't talk about certain things. And now putting pieces together of what's so much more obvious, but again, it's giving us a chance to heal even what it was that she tried to bury so deep. Absolutely. And and I do think that we have um, the power to be able to heal our ancestors as well. Yeah. When we have that intention, you know, and as you said before, there are so many parts of our lineage, you know, that, people can consider sometimes their spiritual teachers as part of their lineage, right? You know, their, their adopted family as part of their lineage. There's so many ways in which we can bring in lineage Um, and DNA. I think, you know, I'm glad that we have these DNA tests. It's like, I, I don't know what I would be doing if I hadn't had the DNA test, but I, what I do know is that, my father had this beautiful African art collection. He was really obsessed with collecting African art. And after he passed, and I had at this point now done the DNA test that he had never done, all of these artifacts were from the places where the DNA was pointing back to. Wow. It was wild. It's like how would you know that this is, you know, that this is from the play. It's almost like the soul knows and the soul wants to go home. The soul wants to be connected. 
So yeah. Oh, it's that real. is incredible. Yeah, no, that is incredible. Yeah. It reminds me of how so many people are really drawn to a lot of times, like different cultures or different things. And they're like, I have no idea why, but it's, it's um, amazing that you got that evidence, like that proof that, you know, of why, because a lot of times we don't know, we're like, maybe a past life, but that's really, really cool. Yeah. yeah. So I have to ask you about this too, because again, I just want to really emphasize for people so much of this book, which is called The Luminous Self, if I hadn't said that already, The Luminous Self, it really is this exploration of what it is that we are holding and how we can like accept, honor, nurture all of these pieces of ourselves so that we can allow ourselves to come into more recognition of our true nature, that part of us that is just the purest, highest expression of our being. And, you know, again, a lot of times we think we're supposed to focus just on the good. That's something I realized in this work. A lot of times people think almost like it's the wrong thing to do to acknowledge or say or admit sadness or wrongness. Like I'm only supposed to focus on the, I'm only supposed to stay positive. Yeah, right. That, like, could you talk a work. bit about, no, like how, <laughs> gosh, like how much it changes us to acknowledge ourselves. That's the thing that I think is so yeah. incredible. Like how, how much we need acknowledgement from ourselves. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's very powerful. And it goes back to the quote that you mentioned at the beginning of our talk, the quote from Sally Kempton, that which makes you fall is that which makes you rise. Yes. If you don't ever pause to look at the wound, to examine, to heal, to tend to the wound, then the wound is always there. Right. And you can pretend that it's not there, but it's always going to be there. And it's not to say that you dissolve it and it disappears, right? But you can burn that seed of the samskara, of the imprint, right? Of the impression, burn it so that it is inert and it no longer has power over you. And perhaps instead it's a source of power the understanding of that wound and the, the rituals and the sitting with that you had to do to tend to that wound and heal it becomes a source of power. It becomes a source of knowledge. And that source of knowledge and healing is then something that you can share with others. You then become a source of healing yes, because you've healed yourself in some way. I see. And that's beautiful. And I think a lot of times for whatever reason, if we know the purpose, speaking of like, aren't we seeking like, what is my purpose? But when we understand the purpose of something or how it can be beneficial, I think that even softens us into some sort of allowance. Um, I, I wanted to point out, I just realized when I'm like 10 minutes, I'm like, oh my God, this is so fast. <laughs> like, wait. There's so many parts of the book. Um, I I do want to point out one of the things that I love so much. Um, you're obviously a poet and a beautiful one. There is this, I mean, at the start of different sections of the book, you do share poetry. And the one where you're asking, am I asleep or awake? 
Mm. I read it again and again and again and again. I mean, it was just so, it really hit me. And I just wanted to acknowledge that it was so, so beautiful. Um, Thank you. Yeah. I mean, absolutely incredible. And I just wanted to point out as well. I mean, in the book, I mentioned how I love that you share a lot of practices throughout the book. Amazing. (laughs) Because it really gives us the um, chance to not just chew on all of this conceptually, but really take it in of like, well, what is the effect? I heard what Tracy Mm -hmm. said, but let me see what happens and what this is like for me. But I wanted to ask you in your journey of doing this work, it's coming to mind the story you shared about being on the retreat in Grass Valley Mm -hmm. in that moment where after your morning ritual and locking eyes with the person that was in the kitchen and just what you felt mm-hmm. and like no need for a verbal recognition. It was a, a soul level recognition that happened. I wanted to know if you could talk a little bit about that when you came into this work, when did you have any expectation? Did you even know, did anyone mm. tell you what well, are you just like, why, <laughs> why did you come in? <laughs> but then also as you started like cracking open, we'll say, could you talk a little bit how that has changed you, just you in relationship to you mm. in life? Yeah. So my, my journey with yoga <clears throat> and spiritual practice started before I even knew that it had started. Mm. I had a moment of spontaneous meditation one day when I was living in South Africa And it was so profound. I did not know what happened to me. I started asking around to people who all thought I was like had 12 heads until I found one person who was like, oh, I know exactly what happened to you. And they brought me to a spiritual bookstore and gave me all these different books, the Celestine Prophecies, books by Khalil Gibran, um, The Way of the Peaceful Warrior, Illusions. I had like six or seven books. And I read all of those books. And one of the books was a book by Harsh Johari that outlined a tantric meditation practice that I did. I didn't really understand what I was reading in this book, but I could un- I could understand the instructions and I could remember the instructions to do the meditation. And when I got back to the States, I sought out a yoga class and I started practicing yoga. And I had a very deep experience the very first time I heard someone playing the gong at the end of class when I was in Shavasana. And the woman who was sitting in front of me turned to me after the gong was over and she said, did you feel that? And I was like, wait a second, this is something that's intentional. The teacher has done something intentional. This isn't just something that happened to me. Yeah. And so I was going to class five times a week. It wasn't until a teacher said to me when I was in a private session with them um, and we were talking about my life and they said, I'm not sure that you have ever tasted your true nature. And that sent me in that moment in a spiral of thinking and questioning, like, what do you mean? What is true nature? How am I going to know when I've tasted it? What's good? What, what exactly is this person talking about? And how would they know anyway? And that was, I feel like the moment that I became a seeker 
of I want to know what is this true nature. I want to read about it because that was my mindset at that time. Like, oh, if I read about it, I'll know what it is. I'll understand what it is, right? And then as I continued in my studies, I became very clear that my path was more of a path of bhakti, of devotion, and less of a path of trying to understand something from an intellectual point of view, right? I think it's nice to have the underpinning of the intellectual part and the comprehension, because when you have an experience, then you can go back and say, oh, this, 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 and this, right? And it makes a lot of sense. So I think for me, how it's changed me is that I have uh, become less fearful. I have become more authentic. I have become more open to sharing not only who I am, um, but wanting to share with other people to know who they are beyond all of the name and form that we see, all of the material possessions and all of the titles and all of the accolades. I want to know who you really are. And that has enriched my life in a lot of ways. It's enriched my life with my partner, with my stepkids, with my parents, with siblings. And so um, it's just created a much more uh, truthful life that doesn't avoid conflict, that doesn't avoid hard topics and is really able to receive the joy and beauty of life because I feel that I'm worthy of it. It's so magical. And hearing you say that, you know, you want to really truly know who people are. It's interesting because in this book, it shows us how to, you know, take steps to know who we really and truly are. But then thinking about how you had this career and this identity that many people are would pay for, right? This life, this lifestyle, she's successful. And even the industry you're in, all the things. And still somehow, some way in this work <laughs> that you decided to apply, it sounds like there's so much richness in who you are recognizing yourself as being even beyond the labels, beyond the titles, beyond the, all the things. And gosh, I needed more time with you, but it it really (laughs) made me so curious about, because in the book you do with the stories you share, it, it shows also, I would say an appreciation for the recognition of who and what you are, even through the reflections that we would, maybe put into the bucket of not spiritual or living in the city and all of these different things. Right. Mm -hmm. But all of these life experiences are pointing to and poking at this beautiful revelation, depending on how open and willing we are to see and investigate and inquire and all of the ways that you um, instruct in the book. It's, it's it's just amazing. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. No, please. (laughs) No, thank you. Thank you for saying that because, you know, you can be spiritual and live in the city. Yeah. You can be spiritual and have a pair of, you know, whatever label shoes or bag you like. Right. Um, This is about making sure that those things don't identify you. Mm -hmm. Right. Yes. Yeah. And, and that's what I noticed when I was working in Hollywood 
is that there was a lot of identification with the success of the next thing and that your life almost felt like it depended on the success of the next thing. Yes. And so there was a lot of material abundance, but a lot of spiritual poverty, a lot of inner poverty. And that was the thing that when I started to become very successful, struck me as, whoa, I, you know, I don't ever want to be in that position. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to not be in a place where I feel like my whole existence depends on the success of the next thing. It's interesting you say, because it makes me think of a lot of times you'll hear stories of people seemingly having it all, but then you hear that they may be depressed or they have these other struggles and people will say, why can you believe it? They have it all. Or, you know, just any experience we see someone in and we think that that is the key to happiness. And if the person Mm -hmm. isn't happy, it just like short circuits our brain, right? And I think it all circles back and points to, again, the teachings of both of your books, really, of what our true quest is, that mm. real, that that deep desire for a freedom that requires us to know ourselves beyond all of these things and the yes. healing that goes with that. Okay, I, I really want to know about your sacred circles. But just one really quick question. I was so curious in reading in the book. A couple of times you mentioned um, this tribe in West Africa. A couple of times. I'm not Mm -hmm. sure. Is it Dagara or Dagara? The Dagara tribe. Yeah. Dagara tribe. Yeah. Do you have any connection with them? I mean, did you spend time with them or? No, I, first of all, that's part of my ancestry is from that area where they're from. Okay. I didn't know that until I had started reading um, the work of Maladoma Somme, who recently left his body, but he has um, two beautiful books. Um, One is called Of Water and Spirit, and the other is called The Wisdom of Africa. And he was a teacher to one of the people that I study uh, with and read very often, Michael Mead. Um, And so I started to be really curious about this tribe and some of the songs that I received um, through Michael Mead that were from the tribe and also then kind of discovered uh, their medicine wheel Uh, because I live in Northern New Mexico And so there's a lot of indigenous wisdom here from all of the beautiful people that live in the Pueblos. They've been tending and stewarding this land and praying on this land for thousands and thousands of years. And, you know, we always hear about the the medicine wheel. And I thought, well, there must be a medicine wheel that's more indigenous to, to my ancestry. Yeah. And so finding that information and just being able to work with that in my own practices has been just another level of, uh, what would I say? Another level of really deepening into who I am. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing how the dots connect throughout this work and how you said even the unexpected information about your family that came through once you created the um, ancestor altar and these things, but it it is amazing just the way, and we could say synchronicity or whatever, we come into these different alignments, no matter what we call it, 
it is really phenomenal <laughs> what starts yeah. to awaken in our awareness as you keep going along. Yeah, I think that these things are always there. Yeah, they're always knocking, they're always trying to get our attention. And it's just a matter of, are we awake? Or mm -hmm. are we asleep? Right. And yeah. that teacher that you just mentioned, it sounds so familiar. I think I've come across his site before. They still have videos and um, they do. Yeah. 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 I Yeah. I've come across his work before. Now, I do want to ask you about, because aside from the books, you also, you're a teacher and you're a facilitator of sacred circles. And with the practices that are in your book, I really was thinking like, gosh, your sacred circles must be incredible. And you mentioned in the book that you facilitate these online and in person. So could you share with everyone the ways in which we could work mm. with you and um, like why you created these spaces? Yeah, I created these spaces for healing. Yeah, I created these spaces for healing, for connection, for community, because to me, community is an essential piece of our own healing. We have to have community. We have to be in community. We have to learn how um, to be in spaces where people have differing opinions, different beliefs, different backgrounds, and to be able to see how we are still all connected. Right. That to me is really important. So the ways in which you can work with me, I have an online community that's called the Radiant Circle. You can find that on my website, uh, which is Tracy with two E's, stanley.com. Um, I have in-person events that are happening. So next year um, I have uh, a restroom play retreat um, because play and laughter is also something that I think is really important. Yeah. A lot of times life gets a bit too serious um, that I'm doing with my dear friend, um, Chanti Takarante Perez. We're co-teaching that in Costa Rica. Mm -hmm. And then I have a yoga nidra immersion that's happening at Menla and a rest and create writing retreat that will happen in New Mexico. Um, so those are the things that are happening right now. There's also a free book club. So if you pre-order the book and, and you go to my website, you can register for the free book club. And that's when we're going to take deep dives into some of the practices so that you can practice them in community and in a container where you're being held uh, and supported. Thank you. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that, especially um, the dream and play, because I will say for everyone, that's a little nugget for you. We didn't get to talk about that section of the book. So now you're going to have to read it to get that juicy piece of information as well. Because you do talk about dream work, which is something I think so many of us are curious about as well. There's so much beautiful information. And um, again, the wisdom that you share through your own practice, as well as giving us ways that we can activate and work with our own self-initiation through the practices in the book. So everyone, it's called The Luminous Self. Her previous book, Radiant Rest, they're both incredible. And we'll have the link to your website below. I have to say, I'm just putting this out there, I guess, because it's like selfish hope. 
because of something you said in the book, I was wondering, I'm like, Ooh, I wonder if her next book will be about ancestral work. (laughs) (laughs) That's just my my personal hope and request. Like maybe she will go there, but um, I'm, I'm looking forward to personally being able to attend your retreats and um, events that you have. So I hope that I do get to meet you in person one day and for everyone Obviously, you're going to want to learn more about Tracy and her work. So go to tracystanley.com. It's T-R-A-C-E-E. The links are below. And I have to thank you so much again for the book, (laughs) for coming (laughs) to talk to me today. Oh, thank you. It's been a great pleasure. So thank you so much for having me back again. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And everyone else, we'll see you next time. Bye for now. Okay, beautiful alchemist. Thank you again to Tracy for coming to have this beautiful conversation, but even more, I want to thank Tracy for her beautiful work. I am sure like so many of you are deeply grateful to the teachers who do share information to support us all going deeper into whatever it is your path may be guiding you um, towards and to, and whatever will help you to understand with more clarity what this work is about and how to apply the principles and the teachings of this work. So thank you, Tracy, for your work. And of course, thank you to everyone listening for joining today. Don't forget to learn more about Tracy and her work at tracystanley.com. It's T-R-A-C-E-E, stanley.com. Also, don't forget that the book comes out in October, so you want to pre-order it now. And if you go to her website, you can pre-order the book. It is being published by Shambhala Publications. And when you use the coupon code LUM30, L-U-M-30, like short for luminous, um, you can get the discount for the pre-order. So I recommend doing that. It really is definitely um, very powerful. I mean, I even beyond just doing the practices in the book, I had so many aha moments in just reading what she shared. So definitely recommend this for your collection, especially for anyone who is interested in coming into deeper relationship and understanding of their own true nature. So I thank you all for being here as always. And don't forget, if you haven't already, download the app. Go to the Apple App Store or to Google Play for Androids and type in The Energetic Alchemist. Download the app. There's plenty of free content there. You can even watch some of the interviews from Reiki Radio there. You can join me for free community conversations. There's a lot. Um, And if you become a member on the app, there's even more content and more classes that are available to you. So download the app and visit me at theenergeticalchemist.com. Come work with me, play with me, share with me. I am so thankful for your presence and I will see you all very soon. Remember to always journey in love.